0: Bruce, familiar text this morning and I thought I'd couple it with last week's message a little bit because we uh, have entered a new year and it's often a time where people refocus and they look at what is ahead and what is behind and uh, a time to gather our thoughts for the upcoming year and goals and those kind of things and, and it's usually also the first week after New Year's where people start breaking their resolutions, right? all the various things that maybe you said you were going to do this year and maybe this week wasn't so good. I don't know. Hopefully it is. Um, I said to myself, I'm going to listen to the entire audio Bible uh, this year. And sometimes I've done that in the past and then fallen behind and then got discouraged. And I said, so I will let you know, I'm seven days into listening to the the audio bible and i've gone through the book of matthew so i don't know if your goal is that but there's all kinds of ways you could do that online if you or or read through it i mean do whatever but i think the word of god is important and it's the primary focus we have i'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment but let's read in hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 to 3 And it sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Lord, we're grateful for your word. Grateful that we can look to Jesus today. And Lord, I pray you'd give us that direction we need and that goal and those hopes and all the things that are only really provided in you. And I pray even today, Lord, again, you'd be lifted up here and in our lives throughout our world, and we commit it to you in Jesus' name, Amen. I mentioned I'm reading through the scriptures, and I think that's always good. And I hopefully I'm uh, I'm encouraging those of you that haven't done that to to do that, continue to do that. That's a good goal every year to go through the Bible. Um, and as I've mentioned probably last week, I don't know, one of the services. If if you want a simple Bible reading plan. Uh, read three chapters in the Old Testament, one in the New, and in about a year you get through the Bible. But there's lots of plans out there and online plans. There's, you can go to YouTube and listen to the audio Bible, ver- various versions. You can um, read through it, obviously, in all kinds of different ways. And, and, of course, I find sometimes the best way is just to open up the book, right, and, uh, and do it. And I also find very helpful to listen to someone read it or read it aloud yourself because when you hear things and see things at this, you're getting it in through two different view, you know, gates into the mind, right, into the heart. And so I'll often do that. I'll read it as I'm listening to it by someone who really can read, you know, that gets the names right and all that stuff. Uh, and, and that's sometimes hard. I, I, I was um, uh, listening to something today there, uh, yesterday that is an, an audio sermon. Actually, it was from Mr. Dowie back in the 80s. But um, it was a really, really powerful message. But he was talking about being in a young people's group. And he said we were asked, all of us, to read a portion of Scripture in this Bible study. And one young man got to a portion where there were all those difficult names. And so he he just... um, Every time he'd come to a difficult name, he just said hallelujah, and he'd move on. And I thought, that's a good idea, you know? If you ever get there and you don't know how to pronounce it, just say hallelujah. But, but there are those that at least pretend they know what it sounds like, and sometimes I'm there. And uh, But you have different difficult portions of Scripture, certainly, to read. But overall, it's a, it's a, it'll make you better. It'll make you much better to do that. Um, I received a little email today, or not today, this week, that had sort of encouragement in reading the word of God and I pulled a piece of that out because this is what it said in that it said someone who reads the Bible four or more times a week is 59% less likely to view pornography 74% less likely to gamble 407% more likely to memorize scripture that makes sense right if you're in the Bible sometimes it sticks right and you memorize Um, 228% more likely to share their faith with others, and 231% more likely to disciple others. These same people are 30% less likely to struggle with loneliness. Amen. Amen. And you know, uh, I, I think again, just by way of introduction this morning, it's good to put into practice what we preach and what we profess, and to do that, and to encourage one another. As we talked about last week, even as we see the day approaching, right? We need to encourage one another for that. Well, we're going to go back here to our text this morning. And if you want an outline, uh, point number one is check your focus. Check your focus. Every now and again, um, we need to refocus. I'm at an age where now my eyes are changing. You know, that happened about probably four years ago now where they were changing a little bit before that, but I still didn't need glasses. Now, pretty much when I read... Um, unless the print's big and or far away, I, I have a hard time focusing closer. You know that's what happens when your eyes get older, and they change over a period of time. And then they slow down, stop, and they don't change as much. And, and then and now you can go get corrective surgery and stuff like that, and get eyes like you had when you were young, right? Uh, those kind of things. But regardless, we need to check our focus regularly. I got a call this week from my optometrist and said, "Oh yeah, your, your by was it two, every two years? Your two year." Appointment is up to come in in March. And so I'm like, okay, back at that now already. Uh, It it didn't seem like it was that far. But there's regular times that we check our eyes out, but we need to check our spiritual focus. And in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, in verse 2, it says, looking on to Jesus. Looking on to Jesus. And as I mentioned earlier, sometimes... Uh, we don't look in the right direction, or the right place, or at the right person. And it's easy to get your eyes off of the most important one, and it's looking unto Jesus. And it's interesting because that word looking, as it's translated in our Bible, it it means, in the Greek is a word that's very strong, and it means to firmly fix your eyes. Actually, another version says that. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. That means you don't take your eyes off him. And if you do, you're in danger of going off course one way or the other. And I think that's important that spiritually speaking, we keep our eyes fixed upon the Lord Jesus and in doing that. And that involves um, not only someone who just glances off and says, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm spiritually minded. You know, it's, it takes work to do that. It's diligence. It's making sure that we are focused on the right Jesus. And why I say that is there are a lot of false Christs out there and false philosophies and false uh, teachings and things like that. And it's getting back to the scriptures because through the lens of the scriptures, we see Jesus and we see who he is. And it sharpens our spiritual focus. Anybody know what this is specifically? Some of you military vets. What is it? Compass, but specifically, what is it? A lensetic compass, right? And if uh, you ever did land navigation uh, prior to the days of GPS, you still have to do this today because sometimes the GPS doesn't work, right? But you had a lensetic compass, and, and, and it has, as you see there, um, a cover that flips up, and it has this little wire that goes through the middle of that, and then you have a lens in the back of it, and then the compass faces down below. And the way that works is... You get your um, direction of travel, your azimuth on a map. You would lay out. and Of course, you have to know where you're, you're, you're at. You have to know your own location. If you don't know where your own location is, well, you're never going to know where you're going, right? I mean, that just makes sense. And, and I may mean, I say this, spiritually speaking, you need to know where you're at. And the Bible allows us to see where we are when we have our eyes on Jesus Christ. And often when I do that and as I get closer to Christ and see him as he is, I realize who I am and I'm a sinner. And there was a day when I realized I'm a sinner lost in my sin and I needed someone to save me because I wasn't on the, I wasn't on the right direction. I was headed in total wrong direction away from heaven. I was headed to hell. And it was through the scriptures I realized that and and, and looking unto Jesus involves, first of all, figuring out where you're at. But then you also need to know where you're going. And the great thing is this, that we can't see all the detours in between. We don't know all the, the pitfalls in between, all the good times and the bad times. Um, I think that's good because, I mean, we, we, would, we would never live. We'd never leave the house if we knew all the bad things that might happen to us. And if we thought all about the good things that would come, well, maybe we wouldn't do anything to even allow those things to come into our life. we just wait for them to happen. But we look to Jesus, who is the light to our path in doing that. One of these in action is sort of like this. In this case, this soldier is holding it up, and he's looking down, and actually you look down through the lens that's there at his thumbs, and the lens allows you to focus down on the compass face so that you know you're in the right direction and then there's a little aiming point on, off the top of that and then you look through and you see that longer wire and that's an aiming point and then you line those two points up with a distant object all in the line of travel, the azimuth and you walk to that or you drive to that because what happens when you're just like have a compass well... Let's say you want to go north, you start going north, but do you realize that you could be in Seattle, Washington and traveling north, and you could be in Madawaska, Maine traveling north, right? You're both going north, but you're totally different parts of the world, and one will be in a different north direction than you will, you know? And so it's easy as you're navigating to step off course and you don't even realize you're drifting. So you have to see the object in the distance and walk to that object or move to that object. Or as in, as in the writer of Hebrews says that we run a race, right? Running and we are headed to Jesus, looking unto him, the author and finisher of our faith. That's the finish line. Make sure your eyes are focused in the right place and you know where you're at. Got to do that. Last week we looked at this verse See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. See, the fool runs through life chasing whatever he wants to chase. Some, whatever the new, newest, greatest, brightest object is in the room, that's where they go, just like a moth to a light. For the believer, we're to focus our eyes to the Lord, and we're to know who he is. And again, hid. Head- in that direction, and walking circumspectly, carefully, very carefully, but having your eyes fixed on him. And that's important because there's a lot of other things that are even good examples, and we could have our eyes fixed on those things. Actually, if you have your Bible, of course, in Hebrews 12, 1, it says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now you say, when you you read through the scriptures, there are key words that pop out. And you students of the Bible know this. If you see the word therefore, what do you ask? What is it there for? Well, you would have to back up a chapter and look at chapter 11 and the preceding chapters beyond that. And the argument is built off this idea. Chapter 11 is a hall of faith. And if, if you have your Bible, you look quickly and you, you see the sphere of faith. It says now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen And then it says, by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. And then it goes on and it gives instances of faith, like of Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah. And then on to Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and the parents of Moses and Moses and then Joshua and Rahab and then all the other heroes of the faith. And they're all amazing stories. I mean, I could pull one of those out and I could... I'll just look at Rahab you know the story of Rahab she's in a condemned city she's a sinner Uh, not a lot of people have a title attached to their name like Rahab the harlot but that's what she was known for and by faith she believes on the God of Israel and she's grafted into the line of the Messiah by faith that's exciting. But you know, it's not about Rahab. It's not about Joshua. It's not about Moses or Enoch or any of them. It's not about David. It's about the God of Rahab and Moses and David. And therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus looking on to Jesus and i say that because i want to set a good example as your pastor but don't look to me too carefully if you follow me around i guarantee you within 5 minutes you'll see a sinner all right hopefully nothing major but you know what we're sinners and you will see sometimes i don't have a good attitude sometimes i don't have the faith i should have Sometimes I, I, I'll say something I really shouldn't have said, you know. Stuck my foot in my mouth again. Sometimes it just stays there. A lot of things we do. But look to Jesus. And if I look to Jesus and you look to Jesus, guess what? We'll be in the right direction. And you won't be disappointed with him. You won't. I'm thankful for Jesus. And you know, it also says he's the perfecter of our faith. For, you know, back up to that, but it says, who for the joy who was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And I am glad that Jesus is the one who anchors us in heaven. He is the one who is the finish line. And he's going to produce in us A work that is finished. I'm glad for that. He's going to perfect what he started. That's what the book of Philippians says. And oh, I need that. I need to be perfected, not in myself, but by him. In the backdrop of this whole focus is what Jesus was going to do and what he did do, he went to the cross. He despised the shame of it, and he went through all of that, and he did it for you, and he did it for me, and he did it for the glory of God, because there was joy on the other side. The joy of finishing. The joy of finishing. And we'll talk some more about that in a moment, but that goes with the second point, and it's follow his example. Follow his example. Not, not ours or, or even the, the people in chapter 11. But follow his example. He'll never lead you wrong. And that's what the book of Hebrews says in, in chapter uh, 12 verse 2. It says, Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. I'm glad. You see, that ought to be part of our thinking. It should consume our thinking throughout the whole course of the day. That doesn't mean you're so heavenly minded you're no earthly good. Like, I don't want you praying with your eyes closed while you're driving, okay? Or while you're, you know, doing something that requires your attention elsewhere. But I will say this, that our meditations ought to be on him. That's what we do looking onto Jesus. Uh, The psalmist said that in, in verse Uh, 1 to 3 in Psalm 5, he says, Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my meditation. And and the word for meditation in the Hebrew is my groanings. Sometimes I grumble. And I'm glad I don't grumble out loud a lot of times, but I do sometimes. But I'm saying, I grumble. And I mean, I see something, I hear something, somebody calls me something, and I go, yeah. And I'm glad they don't hear me. I know, I can tell. Some of you guys have grumbling spirits too, because I do. I grumble. Sometimes nobody else can hear my grumbling but Him. Lord, hear my grumblings. Hear the hurts. Hear the the problems of my life and the things that are impossible and I can't fix and all of it. Just hear them, Lord. And He does. He does. He goes on to say, Give heed to the voice of or of uh, uh, the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for to you I will pray. The psalmist declares with himself, and he makes a vow and a, a pact with himself, I am going to cry unto you, and I am going to pray to you. That's a great start. Too often it's prayer that's the last thing that we move to. When everything else doesn't work, it's time to pray, right? And no, it should be the very first thing that comes to our mind when there is some need that arises or, or someone to intercede for. It ought to be before God first and foremost. Do that. Because he says in verse 3, My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you and I will look up. You know, the greatest thing you can do is in the morning look up. Look up. And he's not talking about because you sleep on your back, you're going to look up. Sometimes you look up, you get out of bed and you're looking down. And you're like, oh, man, are those my legs? You know, that didn't work last night, sleeping that way. I didn't sleep. You know, those kind of things. And, you, you know, we, we have those grumblings, even the physical grumblings, right? All creation groans. <laughs> We're part of that. But in the morning, lift up your voice to heaven. Lift up your eyes to heaven. Look up. Look up. When I write little notes to people, sometimes I'll just include that. I'll say, keep looking up. I'll do that in emails. I'll do whatever. Just keep looking up. Uh, And I don't know if that ever encourages people, but it encourages me every time I write it, because it reminds me of my direction of focus. It should be up. And to him... By the way, you can do that any time of the day. It's not just the morning. Some would say, Oh, we have to do that only in the morning. No, the Bible goes on to say in Psalm 55, evening and morning and at noon, I will pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. Wow. Thank you, Lord. You know, when we're doing that, when we're focused on him, we'll also be waiting for him in hope. Someday I'm going to see him. Amen. Amen. Here, there, or in the air, right? And I truly believe that. I, I believe the scripture teaches that. I believe that for, the, for, for those that trust in him, for those who have put their faith in him, we will see him face to face as he is, and not another. Oh, I'm glad for that. In Matthew 24, Verse 44, Jesus, after that passage referring to prophetic events that are coming and all that, he just puts this out there, Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. It's a warning to those both outside the faith and inside the household of faith that we are to be watching and ready. Ready for the return of Christ, ready for uh, our turn to see Christ, But ready. And that involves watching. And who are we to watch? Looking onto Jesus, right? We're to do that. Oh, I'm thankful. He's our great example. And no other is needed in that time. I think also when we look ahead, and and again, I'm thinking about what Jesus endured for us, right? We read that passage this morning in Matthew 26 and I think this is a good example but when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table but when his disciples saw it they were indignant saying why this waste for this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor and I've thought about that a lot Sometimes we, we face something like a young life that is, is, seems snuffed out so soon. And some might say, oh, what a tragedy, what a waste. And no, is it? Not if we're looking unto Jesus, because he'll do something. And I believe that. I believe that. He does things that only he can do. This woman... Took all that she had, probably at great expense to herself. Obviously, some have said that it would have cost over a year's wages. And she just poured it out on the head of Jesus. And she anointed Jesus. And who was she looking to? Jesus. See, you can't pour out a a fragrant oil onto Jesus without looking at him. (laughs) And her eyes of faith knew who he was and what he was about to do. And his disciples, those that should have known better than anybody, didn't. So why don't look to the disciples for your faith. <laughs> um, I mean, definitely we learn from them. Look to Jesus. But when Jesus was aware of it and said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For as you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. See, their focus was on doing a good thing for the poor. Take that oil, sell it, give the money to the poor. Jesus says you'll always have the poor with you. I mean, that's true. There's more poor people in poverty living in poverty today than ever before in the world. And, and the poor is always there and for various reasons. Ultimately, it's because we live in a sin-cursed earth. We just do. And there are people that will go to bed hungry. And that's sad. And I think we should help where we can help. We're told to that to do that in Scripture. But first and foremost, make sure you're worshiping the Lord. Because everything else will just be a work that is ours and it will be burned up someday if it's just that. But what's done for him is lasting. And that's what Jesus is teaching on. And and he says, for in pouring out this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. And and can I just say it this way? Um, As J. Vernon McGee says, you better anoint the living Jesus because you'll never find a dead one. And he's alive, my friends worship the living God worship him in the book of Hebrews it says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God and I'll say this Jesus is alive and we need to focus on him in that enduring the cross and the shame and the suffering and I won't take the time to read through the gospel record of that but when they crucified Jesus it was awful Roman crucifixion was the worst way to die. It is where we get our word excruciation or excruciating pain. Out of the cross, excrucio. The Romans came up with a new word just to describe the cross. And Jesus went and did that for you and me. He suffered and he he was shamed. Here's the creator of all things. And he enters into his creation, he never does one bad thing, he never sins, he never harms anybody, he never does any of that. And they take him and they spit on him and they mock him and they cruelly treat him and scourge him. And they would have chastised him in such a way that he he was unrecognizable as a man, the Bible says. That's how bloodied he was. And they stripped his clothes from him. See, we clean up the cross when we see in our mind the crucifixion and things like that. But he would have been been naked and bleeding, hanging on a cross. What shame. You have no way to cover yourself. Your hands are nailed. Your feet are nailed. Writhing in pain and suffering. And then feeling the absolute lonely emptiness of dying. And having even, as it says cries out my god my god why have you forsaken me of course he's quoting from psalm 22 and psalm 22 is the crucifixion psalm written a thousand years before the crucifixion and it would have pointed people right back to that and in that is a messianic psalm and it would have shown that he indeed was messiah he indeed is the christ but nevertheless the prophetic element of that was that he was feeling that weight of sin And he was thus separated during that moment when the weight of sin was placed upon him. And he paid for it. The third day rose again. See, the Bible says it was for the joy that was set before him. The joy was what would be accomplished after the pain. I think of that in the context of an athlete that has to be a competitive athlete that wants to to race or to you know, be in a sport where they're the top of their game. You don't do that by sitting on the couch and playing video games. Unless you're like a video game athlete, I guess. But You got to get up and get out there early. And you got to work and sweat. And when your friends are doing their thing, you're doing your thing because you want to win. And you purposely will go through trial of suffering in exercise and all the other things and diet restrictions all those things purposely because you know the joy of the victory at the end that's what Jesus saw and that's what he gives us for hope in the midst of all of that oh I'm thankful for such a savior and you know there were people that were around the cross that that saw that I think of the two thieves, one on either uh, side of him as they as they um, you know went and and died you know, reminds me of a little story by the way. man was getting ready to die, and he he had his arrangements made and and uh, he knew his time was coming and so when they asked him, you know how do you want to uh, be buried and all that and he says well he says I, I ultimately i i guess i i would like to have before i die and all that stuff uh, i'd like to have my lawyer present i'd like to have my banker present I have one on either side of me and they said well why do you want your lawyer and your banker he says jesus died between two thieves he says i might as well too <laughs> but in all seriousness jesus died between two thieves One saw himself and he never looked beyond himself and he died lost. The other one looked to Jesus, the man in the middle, and he said, Lord, remember me today when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you shall be with me in paradise today. You see, all he could do is look to Jesus. He couldn't join a church or go to a synagogue. He couldn't be baptized. He couldn't give any money. I mean, he couldn't do anything for his salvation except looking to Jesus. Amen. Amen. There was a centurion who was present also. He was one of those guys in charge of the crucifixion itself. And he looked to Jesus. It says, And when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying... Truly this was the Son of God. That centurion could do nothing except look to Jesus. And he testifies that this one is the Son of God. Amen. No pain, no gain, no suffering, no glory, no cross, no crown, no tears, no joy. Those paradoxical things that are necessary. And then the last thing is this, we need to rest in his finished work. We need to rest in that. You see, we, are, we, are, we have a Savior who is now seated. <laughs> Looking on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, who has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, when you sit down, you're in a place of rest, aren't you? Jesus' work is done. And compare that in the book of Hebrews to the things that the Jewish people were clinging to, many of them, and the, the people like the Pharisees and others were clinging to, they were clinging to a priesthood that was weak at best because it never was done. Every day and every year they had to go in and make a sacrifice for sin. And the writer of the book of Hebrews, of the letter to the Hebrews, says, None of those things could ever take away sin. Their work was never done. But we have a high priest whose work is finished. Hebrews chapter 4 says this, There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. My friends, you have a rest that awaits you. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his And and the word for cease, it's the same word that is used of the Sabbath. When God finished creation, he ceased. Because it was good. There was a greater work that would come when that's when Jesus paid for the price of sin. And when he was done, he ceased. He doesn't have to do it over and over and over again, ever. It was enough. And look what it says. Let us therefore be diligent. To enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Get in the Bible. <laughs> That's what it says. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him whom we must give account Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Cling to that hope hold fast to the confession that you have not because you're doing such a great job but because he did (laughs) and it's that simple do you know him are you looking unto jesus the author and finisher of your faith i hope it's your faith it's worth it let's pray lord we're grateful again for your word may it find its way into our hearts and minds and may we cling to these things these promises and more than anything may we look unto jesus in the coming days and years ahead and oh lord may you be the one who we think of most often and may you be the one that we read about and come to know and look forward to seeing you and we cling to that again today in jesus name amen